space, you're considering a lot of learning styles. The public spaces that's required, but it's under different provisions in the sense that your child is, in some cases, they're sought out, they're identified, a structure and plan is set up with the parent included, a whole way of, you know, making some decisions about what that plan is going to entail and how it will be implemented. In the higher education space, you have to self-disclose. Hello, and welcome to the Black and Dyslexic Podcast with Winifred A. Winston and LaDerek Horn, the show that unapologetically focuses on helping Black and underrepresented minorities navigate the special education process. We want to help raise awareness in the Black and Brown community, remove the stigma about learning disabilities, and provide you access to professionals in the space of dyslexia and special education that you need to hear from. Today, we're going to be talking about accommodations in college and the workplace. I have with me Dr. Allison Butler. She is the Director of Accessibility Services, and she's also the ADA Compliance Officer in Higher Education. And I'm not going to be coy about it. I know Allison. We worked together about six years ago. I was Associate Director of Career Services, and she was the Director of Accessibility Services. So she's been doing this work for a long time. So I am so excited to have you, Allison. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Winifred. I'm so happy and um, just overjoyed with everything that you've been doing in this work. Uh, We really need your voice, and I'm just glad that I could partner in this way. Yeah, I'm so excited. And and also, um, Allison is on our Business Development Committee for Dyslexia Advocation. So we are made up of good stock in this space because there is a lot of work that needs to be done. So Allison, tell me, what do you do? And just give us a little, just a little snippet of accessibility services and the work around ADA compliance before we dig deep. So the audience will understand how important and, and what this work means to folks who have learning disabilities. Oh yeah, definitely. Overall, In my role, I uh, manage like the daily functions and activities around providing accommodations in like the different spaces around campus. So for instance, if we're thinking about the classroom, there's specific academic accommodations. If there's uh, housing involved, there's specific housing needs. If we're thinking about library, there's certain things that, you know, the library has to consider um, in navigating um, accessibility to all. And we also provide accommodations in the workplace as well for employees. So we're a federally mandated office. So ADA stands for Americans with Disabilities Act, which was uh, passed in 1990, and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. And what that means is, is that any institution that receives any federal dollars has to provide um, services to ensure uh, inclusion of anyone with a disability. So our offices exist at every college um, in the United States. So know that there's some form or representation um, depending on the size of the institution You'll see larger offices Um, at smaller institutions. I've seen a one person shop, (laughs) so um, it's going to look a lot different. Also, the way that accommodations are managed and implemented really depends on how the institution is set up 
and uh, leadership really factors into that. Having support and the funds to, you know, make sure that you're staying on par with like best practices. There's a professional association that we join, which is called AHEAD. That's the Association for Higher Education and Disability. And that really is a forum for us to, they have uh, conferences, they host webinars. Uh, We talk through this work. There's regional boards that actually engage in professional development around this work. And so it's an active process in making sure that we um, are staying up to par with what is considered best for inclusion, access, and equity. Wow. And you you just dropped a lot. I just want to chime in because when you said ADA in 1990, I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't very long ago because I was in high school. I was like 1990. And then I want to make it clear. You just said every college or university, every institution that receives federal dollars has some form, some type of services. So I want you, I want you guys to hear that. I want parents to hear that. So every college and university that receives federal dollars, they must provide reasonable mm-hmm. accommodations, mm-hmm. right? So I just want, I want parents to hear that. And when you said that professional organization, you said AHEAD, is that A-H-E-D? Mm-hmm. E-A-D. E-A-D. Association okay. for Higher Education and Disability. Ah, okay, okay. But that's the professional organization our offices, a lot of them belong to whole professional membership and it gives us access to a lot of different forms of engagement with nationally like there's a lot of institutions that are doing a lot of great work in the area of inclusion expansively because a lot of times um, when we think about disability it's like the last thing that we're considering as like identity space when we think about diversity efforts sure absolutely absolutely can you talk a little more about um i always reference the k and w guide to colleges for students with learning differences mm-hmm. and so i always tell parents there are three types of services you've got your structured programs which are the uh, most comprehensive mm-hmm. and and I, I believe you have to sign a contract it's probably more like a program mm-hmm. right and then we have uh coordinated services where there's at least one staff member or someone certified and you have to voluntarily request opt in, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we have uh, services, schools that just provide services, which is the least comprehensive. Can you talk about the difference in those programs and what that might look like? Yes. So some some institutions actually receive endowment funds, scholarship funds, certain things that are designated to specific disability efforts. And so, for instance, some universities may have like a learning disorders clinic specifically on campus. Sometimes uh, if the department, sometimes departments of psychology might have a specific unit that manages psychoeducational assessments. And that's a Um, They work with supervised clinical rotation for like their doctoral students. Some institutes, so those are like some of the types of structured, you know, types of services. And that's the reason why they exist. You know, like our offices, we have specific operational funding from the university. So Mm -hmm. whatever budgets and things like that. But sometimes it's like endowments, specific 
interests of like a, a leadership group, you know, a leadership at that time and focusing on a specific trend that they're seeing or University of Washington is a great example. So they actually have the Disabilities Opportunities Inner Networking and Technology. And they provide a lot of resources for educators, students. They also, it's based under, you know, uh, University of Washington, but they also have a lot of public scope and they do a lot of work, you know, in representing um, best practices in like these specific areas as it relates to higher education. Oh, that is awesome. That's awesome. So that's an example of what a structured program might look like at a university because mm-hmm. essentially they're using their internal, I would say their internal workings because of the programs that they offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you may have, like you said, these endowments or funds that, uh, or scholarship funds that mm-hmm. are specific to a particular area because more than likely someone had it and they mm-hmm. have the, the money right. and, right. and want to say. And they, and they may have a student that graduated and utilized specific services. So, you know, that's like a gift to the institution. Sure. Um, sure. And so like, sometimes you'll see like a lot of universities have centers for autism. Like I said earlier, learning disorders, like uh, specialists. Some universities have uh, an academic support centers that are uh, available for all. And that's a really good approach as well. Some actually have specific academic coaching that is sometimes it's tailored to all or it's tailored to specific learning disabilities. Okay. Um, So those are all things that, you know, factor into good decisions for, you know, the best fit for any child. Yeah, I think we even talked about the 30 best colleges for students with learning differences. Um, That's a resource and we'll definitely have that in the show notes so parents can check that out. And then talk about, because I know when we worked together, we worked at a, a, a university that was online. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this was like six, seven years ago, right? Right, right. And, and now look how relevant that is post-pandemic. Oh, I can't Absolutely. even say post-pandemic because you know what? I still have a lot of anxiety about going out. And no, I know. I'm very slow with it. I'm and not. <laughs> I am. And being around people, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but I watch my daughter. She is 11. I watch her during this pandemic, her uh, school sent her home to do virtual Mm -hmm. and then they went back in person. But now I look at her, get on Zoom and she's 11 and I look at her. Oh, mommy, I just pulled the arrow down and the number was already there. And, you know, and um, she the other day she clicked, but she was moving too fast because she wanted to use the speech to text, to look up something. Mm-hmm, right. I was just watching, like, look at her go. Like she just was getting it, yeah. you know? And, and so talk about some of the accommodations for online learning, because that mm-hmm. is huge right now. We know Definitely. that a lot of folks have been successful with it, but a lot have not. But I don't think parents really know what help to ask for. Right, because right. This is, this is really new territory now. Right, right. The thing that's interesting, like you even mentioned, the technology space really creates so many opportunities for access, and then it creates barriers for others. Mm-hmm. And so it shifts, you know, outside of like the traditional classroom, depending on how classes are set up. I think the one thing I do appreciate at the institution that we worked for was that they actually had instructional designers that still exist, you know, they're Mm -hmm. still in place today. And so they 
sometimes like institutions really need to make decisions about who has ownership of accessibility and the, like their wheelhouse. So for instance, for faculty at a higher ed institution, they're not trained in like special education or like in um, a lot of things in teacher education, sometimes they're talking about inclusive design, universal design, because in the public school spaces, you have to ensure that like you are providing, you're setting up your classroom and considering usability as it exists. You're considering a lot of learning styles. The public spaces that's required, but it's under different provisions in the sense that your child is, in some cases, they're sought out, they're identified, a structure and plan is set up with the parent included, a whole way of, you know, making some decisions about what that plan is going to entail and how it will be implemented. In the higher education space, you have to self-disclose, just sharing some of the things that, you know, you've been able to learn. You have to self-identify. But the great thing is like in the online settings is that they have, depending on how the programs are set up. So for instance, the institution that we work for, they didn't have timed exams by the time I started there. They removed that as part of their curriculum. They found that it wasn't necessarily important to grasp, you know, an understanding of the material to be able to show and demonstrate you know, the learning, you know, in that type of environment. Um, And plus they serve, you know, um, a lot of non-traditional students. So, you know, and part of that understanding, they're thinking ahead, you know, in some ways about removing a barrier, even though, you know, it serves individuals with disabilities, but it serves all. That's huge. Yeah. Allison, that's, that's so huge. The time exam, because Oh, sorry. I'm always uh, revealing that I only recently found out that I have ADHD and I I follow some folks on Instagram and they make these jokes about ADHD. And so one of the jokes recently was here's the ADHD brain when you have a timed exam. Right. And so you're like, oh, wow, I have one hour. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to have one hour to take this exam. Oh, my gosh. And I'm reading the question and it was making a joke. And it was like, and now I've wasted two minutes because you're, yeah, your, your anxiety mm-hmm. is just so high, mm-hmm. right? And and, and because you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And people don't understand that that ADHD brain, that's what it's thinking about. I have right. all this time and then right. all this anxiety. And it was so profound because I had just taken the state exam, um, a state exam recently to earn licensure. And that was me. And I took my medicine that day. <laughs> but when I sat down and I saw that timer, it's like it automatically did something to my brain. And I was like, okay, don't focus on the time. Don't focus on the time. But I was focused on the time and I wasted like three minutes because I was focused on the time. Yeah. And that's why exam accommodations exist. Um, and it's unfortunate because you never got a chance to, you know, identify, you know, because you didn't know. No. Um, and so that's what's unfortunate because when we do extend it time as an accommodation, those are the reasons for that. So there's a lot of different reasons it's needed, you know, depending on the nature of the disability, but specifically for ADHD, like if you had time and a half, at least, you know, you have an hour to complete the exam, but you still have like another 30 minutes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. deal with what you have to compensate for, you know, that your peers don't, (laughs) you know, they don't have that same experience. So, you know, an hour, they're able to, you know, get the, get it done. Um, They don't have to go through that anxiety and, 
you know, that pressure, you know, yep. that happens. Yep. So yep. anyway, um, that's a great example of why um, exam accommodations exist. But uh, I mean, all online institutions don't do that. That is like a strategic move, you know, for, uh, you know, a programmatic decision, you know, but a lot of there's a lot of reasons that timed exams exist, you know, and yeah, depending yeah. on the type of programs, because that depending on the, you know, at online institutions, you know, not every program can be done online. You can't get your medical degree online. No, no. there's just no, absolutely no way. <laughs> so certain programs, you know, you're able to, a lot of times they might have open enrollment. So you don't have to go through like a specific standardized test to get in. So that's another reason some students with disabilities might find that to be a better environment for them. Some students that are really good at self-pacing themselves, they will thrive in that type of environment. Our non-traditional students, like in any type of form, whether you're a military veteran, whether you're a single mother, whether, you know, um, you're working, you know, multiple jobs, sometimes the online spaces are better. And there are accommodations there, but it really depends on how the courses are set up. So for instance, flexibility with um, deadlines is something that's requested depending on the, you know, if it's a reasonable fit. And the challenge with that is that there does become a time where you can't, you know, continue to extend a deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's certain things like, you know, if you negotiate like a day or two, that's one thing. But if you try to go beyond like maybe... I don't know, five or seven days, there's other things that might need to be discussed because you're automatically put behind and then it's just going to increase the anxiety and trigger a lot of things because some individuals with chronic health conditions might need that. Sometimes some students with mental health conditions as well as maybe ADHD, you know. um, Yep, yep. You know, there's a lot of different reasons that that accommodation exists, but it can be challenging. And I think the one thing that's different from high school to college is that you don't have your parents kind of telling you and, you know, kind of guiding you of like, you know, just reminding you of the steps that you need to do. And that's why self-advocacy is so, so important, you know, in public schools, especially for black and brown kids. They aren't encouraged. They aren't taught to Mm -hmm. embrace it and wear it as a a badge of honor. Right. Right. And I I talk about this a lot. I taught in the public school system here, mostly black, black and brown children. Mm -hmm. And and nobody wanted to admit they had an IEP except for when Mm -hmm. it was time to get a job. Mm -hmm. And then when I worked in the more affluent, predominantly white. Um, institution over the summer, those high school kids were raising their hands. They were telling me that they took their medication, like they were accessing resources. And the program that I was teaching in, we took them on college tours every Friday to say, okay, this is how you would, um, this is the office you would uh, request Mm -hmm. accommodations. Mm -hmm. These are the type of accommodations. Right, right. And black students don't do that. I have parents, Mm -hmm. I have parents reach out to me. Oh, my child is struggling. He can't pass this math class. And I'm like, well, did he have an IEP in in, in K-12? Oh, yeah, yeah. But we're not going to use that. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. Right, right. You know, and and, and what the have thing you is, seen? and the, oh, seen? the same, the exact same thing, the exact same thing. And you know, another layer to that is, you know, we're a beautiful and colorful diaspora, uh, but some of us come from different countries. And so the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, special education didn't exist overseas. Mm -hmm. And then also for us as Black Americans, though, you know, for us, Black and Brown, 
we just don't seek out. I mean, we're a prideful culture. Uh, we have not, and we've been taught to distrust certain services. And there is some truth about the labels and like, you know, how it can follow you. And, you know, there is not always the best experience. So sometimes it's, you know, been, you know, some in some experiences, they've just been like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to disclose. But the great thing now is that the focus in special education is inclusion. So it's not about, there might be certain things that your child might need to be separate to do and manage and things like that, like maybe speech therapy or, you know, what, you know, depending on what other services are offered, but most of the class are immersed with the, you know, all the students. So it's preparing them, you know, to be like, you know, depending on where they go. Yeah. And see in K-12, you have the IEP. Okay. But once you leave high school, nobody's going to know, you know, you have to, you have to self-disclose. You have Have to self-disclose. And it makes me think back to when I was in graduate school, right? Let me tell you, and it was a predominantly white institution, PWI. I'll never, ever forget this. It was, um, I want to say it was my training and development course because I really liked that teacher. I did my master's in HR and I was doing a presentation and I had two other people in my group. Two, they were white. And um, I was planning a vacation trip. I think I was going to Vegas, actually. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I was going to Vegas and we were working on this uh, project and we had to do a presentation. So um, as a group, we assigned each other a section. Do you know at the last hour, I never forget, he's my friend on LinkedIn. He was like, oh, I can't write that. I have a learning disability. And, you know, I, I, I don't even know, remember what he told me he had, but he couldn't do it. Then she popped up and said the same thing, right? That she had a learning disability and she couldn't write. I'm like, I'm about to board the the plane. Oh my gosh, and this assignment is due. So I had to do the whole assignment, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? And, you know, of course, Logan wasn't born yet. I wasn't immersed in this environment, but I did do my internship in undergrad at uh, with Special Olympics, North Carolina. So I wasn't totally clueless and, 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 but I thought, why did they wait to the last minute? But I'm even thinking, did my professor do that intentionally, right? Because I'm thinking like, how do I get in that group with two of them that told me that, but they were white, they disclosed, right? They were in the program, they were thriving. I ended up writing the whole report. And the only thing that pissed me off was I could tell when we presented that they did not read it. Because mm, you still mm-hmm. had to do your section. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. I could tell. And I'm looking like, and I never said anything to the professor because at the time I didn't know that in higher ed, you had to self-disclose and she may have known, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell their business, but Allison, tell us about workplace accommodations, because what I see mm-hmm. is, especially for black and brown folks, mm-hmm. they're not getting identified in K-12 or they are identified, but they're incorrectly identified. And if they are identified, they have an IEP, but it's not robust. They're not mm-hmm. getting what they need. Right. They go to college. A lot of folks that I've spoken with, they were identified in college, right? They were able to cope and use some strategies in K-12. They identify in college, but then when they get in the workplace, they still don't know how to self-advocate, mm-hmm. right? And, and in the workplace, a lot of folks just are not going to tell an employer Mm-mm. that they no. need some assistance. No. I just start marking on every application. Do you have a learning disability? I, I, a disability. It don't say learning. It says right, disability. Right. Mm-hmm. And it lists yeah, all these things. Yeah, that's the EEO question. Yep. And I mark yes now, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm ADHD and I'm like, I've got to figure out 
what I might need. Because right now, although I know I'm ADHD, I know how it shows up. Right. I right. still don't know what I might need at work. Right. right, right. And, and so I mark yes, because I say, you know what? If I'm advocating and I'm instructing others to do it, I'm going to practice what I preach. Right, right, right. And right. I mark yes. And so right. um, I remember having a ball chair at work. At the time, I didn't even know I was ADHD, but I think about how much it helped me. Mm-hmm. I sat on that exercise ball ch- mm-hmm. type of chair. Right, right, right. It helped me because I fidget a lot. Right, um, right. And, but that's when I'm thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I'm focused. Right, right, but, right. But um, I don't even know. I'm still learning like mm-hmm. what might help me or what I need. Cause I don't quite know what to ask for. Right. But I know sometimes I can feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, with a lot of tasks. I work good with a lot of tasks, but mm-hmm. I don't even know what to ask for to help me organize all those tasks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The workplace is very different. See, the thing is, is that depending on, you know, what your disability is. So if we're talking about ADHD, dyslexia, et cetera, a lot of times you need academic accommodations and they don't translate in the workplace because, mm-hmm. you know, the workplace is a completely different environment. So there's a combination of ways that like, you know, there might not be a specific accommodation that you're requesting, but there's things that you need to compensate for. So for instance, sometimes it's like finding first, because the thing is you have to be, uh, the thing is under the ADA, it's about reasonable accommodations is also there's a caveat about you have to be eligible for the workplace or the program so you have to meet the needs of the job description with or without accommodations Mm -hmm. so for instance bring an exercise ball in you know you can do that on your own or your space might already be set up ergonomically that, you know, they incorporate certain things like that. So for instance, Google, I think we all heard about, I mean, you know, Google supposedly had the rock star workspaces. Like, you know, they had, they offered a cafe, they offered like these different um, sitting rooms. You don't have necessarily, you know, some people might have an office space, but it's not the traditional office space, like they're shared spaces. Sometimes they're open spaces, open conference rooms. Um, just different ways for people to engage, take breaks, you know, different work schedules. Like, you know, it's not like a rigid nine to five, like you can come in if you work best from six to three, or if you work best from like seven to, you know, 11 or something like that, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. or excuse me, seven to like, you know, um, you know, like one in the morning or something like that. Like, you know, they offer a lot of that with their spaces because of the way their approach is very innovative and they want, they know like there's certain types of fields that a lot of uh, individuals with disabilities thrive in. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, it's also about finding that match for you. So sometimes the reason why you don't necessarily know what to ask for is just because there's some things that you need to just do to self-compensate. So for instance, me with the calendar, with the way that my job is and what I have to manage, and I'm always being pulled in different directions and I have to maintain my email, I have to do projects, I have to do meetings, you know, I, I have everything is on the go. And so like, for instance, like, you know, I'm very, I live by my calendar. So if it's not on my calendar, like, you know, I have my personal calendar and work calendar, but I've been able to kind of manage that. And so I'm really good about 
I'm really good with organization and things like that. I used to do academic coaching and things, you know, things of that nature. So I'm really good with organization and, you know, time management and things like that. But I had to work at that. So, um, you know, some of it has to be like certain things that we're working towards and compensating for. But in the workplace, like a deadline you know, you might not be able to push that back, but you might be able to like, you know, the great example was the exercise ball. Either your employer could buy that for you or you could just bring that. Well, you know what? With that, I was at a special education school. Yeah. So that chair was already there. They said, oh, do you want to use one or the other? I was like, oh, I'll take the the exercise ball chair. Now I took it because I thought it was going to help me with my abs. Right, right. Um, But then when I realized, like when I'm giving tours and I'm learning about the school and everything, and one of the great things is we have different, we had different seating for the children, right? Right. And I'm like, wait a minute. Ergonomic equipment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm sitting on yeah. this ball chair. And then hence I learned that I'm ADHD and I'm like, wait a minute. And I remember rocking and yeah. not even knowing that I'm rocking on the chair. Right, right, right? Right, right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is something. And and I remember at another job, my supervisor, he had a standing desk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never right. saw him sitting down. Yeah. And he had the like an extra mat on the floor. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some so type of equipment. Lumbar support. Yes, yes. So, so he has and see, that. And sometimes, and see, that's the thing about the work environment and the match. Because one of the things that I always really focus on is like the way that we can build in accessibility is called universal design. So we're making those decisions ahead of time. So if we have a workspace, like, you know, how are we making decisions about the type of furniture that we buy? You know what I mean? Because like the uh, buying a standing desk and like some of those regular traditional, you know, uh, heavy desk and things like that. I know it's changing that we get lighter equipment now, but um, getting the standing desk serves all because mm-hmm. even you still can sit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like if people would prefer to sit, they that's available to them. If you had circulation issues, that's a good fit for you. If you're just like, you know, a health nut, you know, that helps you, you know, keep focus. You know, sometimes it, you know, helps with like, you know, just the brain activity and like some people have like treadmills, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. underneath their, you know, doing their work. I saw that a lot in the pandemic, but yeah, if we build in ergonomics, that's a very inclusive p- approach for workplaces that minimizes the number of accommodation requests that are ah. needed. So that's the strategy that, because the thing is the standing desk and like that traditional desk are pretty much about the same price if you buy it ahead of time. So make those decisions ahead of time for your, for this incoming, you know, we have, we're intergenerational at this point. So we need to think about all for a lot of different reasons, including, you know, things that will serve, you know, um, our disability communities, things that serve us in a neurodiverse, you know, capacity and thinking about the way that we process and think and come up with innovative types of, whether it's decision-making, whether it's a specific project, Project, whether it's a program, just the way that we engage and do that. Like, you, you know, we're thinking, of, we're thinking about talent in a different There's way, a way. And accepting all these differences in ways that we haven't. That's what, that's what we should be working towards with inclusion. Yeah. And you hit on a key thing. It doesn't cost much. It no. doesn't cost more. If and you I do think, it ahead of time, yeah, do it I think from a, the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of businesses, it, the first thing they think is cost. 
Yeah. And and depending on how the business is structured, is it going to come out of my budget? Right, right. Right. And right. And, and they're thinking cost. And I know um, ADA compliance falls under HR. And, you know, historically, HR hasn't been a money generating department. Uh-uh. Right. It's been uh-uh. very transactional. And we uh-huh. know that good HR departments, they show you the numbers. Uh-huh. Right. They show uh-huh. you what it costs to recruit. They show you what it costs, how much money we lose if we don't have strong retention numbers, right, like how much right. it costs to re to backfill a position, right. you know? And so we've got to be as HR professionals more savvy with saying, look, look at the cost of this. If we do this now, absolutely, right. And absolutely. they've got to speak the language of the CFO. You got to talk do. money to them You do to get you their do. attention to say, Hey, we can do a better job. Yeah. And, it's and a great business practice. Yeah. It's yeah. The best business practice. It and I think, cause. I think the beautiful thing of the pandemic and the shift of how we're thinking about work is that for instance, schedule schedule can, you know, create barriers for some individuals with disabilities and what they're managing. So like, for instance, some people just naturally, you know, how like back in the day when we had to figure out like our optimal concentration time, like some of us work better 9am and some of us are better later in the day. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we're thinking about how that exists in the workspace, why does nine to five have to be like the, exactly. par- you know, why is that the tradition? Now we can kind of think about hybrid ways of engaging in the workspaces. Now we can think about more teleworking opportunities and ways, you know, to be productive at home. And that is, you know, a way of thinking about inclusion. That's the beauty now too of, I'm glad you put it out there because, you know, as I said earlier, some of it is we have to find the best fit for us. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, an accommodation isn't going to solve everything. So you can't go into a job. Nobody can go into a job thinking the accommodation is going to get you the schedule you want. Yeah, You know what I mean? Sometimes it can, sometimes it can, but it depends on what's built in, you know, already. And so you mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. are working around that and you're negotiating that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go into determining what's reasonable, a w- reasonable workplace accommodation. But for instance, the big thing now is with people returning to work, there is an uptick of people requesting, you know, remote work um, yep. as an accommodation, which, you know, is valid and can be substantiated. The challenge is, is that not everybody's going to be approved. So it really depends on the work environment. So for instance, if you are working in an environment that requires a lot more social interaction, like if you're required to work directly with students, if you are working with patient care directly with patients, you're not going to be, you're, you're not Mm going to be approved for that, even if you request it. You know, even if you have a substantial valid reason, you're not going to be approved for that because of the work environment that you're in. And sometimes that can be there. There's some, you know, it just depends on the corporation institution, how their makeup, how large they are. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you might just have to look for another position or sometimes they might have some options to like for a reassignment or certain things like that. But it's just not guaranteed. It just depends on how large the corporation or the so some of it is about the best fit for you. So like, you know, then there's like another, um, let's say it's an IT role and you don't have to interface. Everything can be remote. So if you're asking for a remote in that setting, you could probably would be honored. You yeah. Know and I, mean? I, I'm as an accommodation that, that this pandemic will force some employers to step up their game yes. with their technology. Because for example, 
when I was working before the pandemic, we were all sent home. The governor shut Maryland down mm-hmm. within um, what the second, I think, or third week of March. Mm-hmm. And within a week of us sending everybody home to work remotely, we had issues. We all right. couldn't get on the server. Right, right? And right. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're not even equipped to mm-hmm. have us working from right. home. Yeah. And then I talked to another a friend of mine and he's like, no, he worked for a larger institu- institution. And he was like, no, we we were doing those checks annually and sometimes quarterly to make sure. So when yeah. they made the shift to remote working, it was it was it seamless, was seamless. Mm-hmm. But now I'm I'm like, wait a minute, they couldn't even support us all working, you know, right. from home. And so right. I'm hoping that this will, um, you know, have employers really looking at the technology mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, let's up our game now because these are questions. Because I know what I've been interviewing and I asked. So what is the COVID protocol, right? Mm-hmm. If someone, if you have been around someone who mm-hmm. has, you know, been exposed to COVID right, and you're, right. you go home for 10 days, what do you do? Right, right. Like, what do you Absolutely. do? Because if you're new, you don't have sick time acquired, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You cannot, uh, you have to work what for a year before you can mm-hmm. get FMLA, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So what are we doing? Right. In between. You know what I mean? Because right. previously, I remember years ago, it didn't matter. Right. right. You weren't gonna right. let's say for like a call center mm-hmm. and you oh, had, the call centers are the worst. Like don't yeah. work there if you you it, you're not there's exactly. gonna be oh they're the but, worst. Yeah, and they're but, built, they're designed for you to be a robot. And yes. humans are not robots. <laughs> yes. But now it's like even jobs like that, what are you gonna do? Right. Like you right. can't, you can't, I mean, it's gonna cost you a ton of money to keep letting people go and then rehiring, right? But I'm hoping that the the upside of, of the pandemic is that with what we need and the mm-hmm. questions and the situations that are going to occur that are beyond your control, right, right. right that's going to impact everybody, mm-hmm. every industry, right. every industry. Right. Someone is exposed to COVID. The CDC protocol is the 10 day quarantine. Right, right. Right. So, so I'm hoping that the blessing in all of this is that not only will it help those with learning disabilities, but they will implement this, like, as you said, this universal design mm-hmm. so that it's helping everyone and right. then folks who have learning differences, it's helping them as well. And that's a great, that's the thing too, when people are looking at future jobs and things like that, they should ask, what was the response? How did you support your workforce during the pandemic? That's I did. a great question to ask nowadays. I did. I, I mm-hmm. asked that question and, yeah. you know, I, That's you know, a with great question. being a career coach and that being my, my background and, and, mm-hmm. and my love, I'm always, uh, that interview is definitely always a two-way mm-hmm. street with me. I'm revealing information that I did not before. Right. And right. I'm asking those questions and I'm right. like, hmm, red flag here. Exactly. And you don't, don't set yourself up for misery. Yes. Oh my gosh. This has been awesome. Oh my gosh, we talked about so much and you dropped so many gems. We talked about higher education accommodations. We talked about workplace accommodations and accessibility. And I want to point out that term universal design. Mm -hmm. Um, I do see it used a lot in higher education around the online learning platform. Mm -hmm. So I just want parents, I want you to, I mean, our show notes are going to be amazing Mm -hmm. (laughs) from this episode, but I hope that you really um, heard us when we said that students aren't requesting what they need in college. And especially for our black and brown students, they are not going to the office to seek out services and supports that they need. It's at an alarming rate. And that we're eligible for and have a right 
to. Eligible and have a right to. Did you hear that? Mm. Eligible and have a right to. And then in the workplace, it's different, but it's available, right? And these are conversations that we need to start having so that employers can do better. We're educating employers and we're educating ourselves, but the pandemic has opened up a wonderful opportunity for businesses to do better, mm-hmm. right? And some laws you need to be familiar with are ADA and 504, mm-hmm. Rehabilitation Act. So thank you, Allison. Thank you so much. This has been a ton of information. Tune in next week, where we'll continue to bring you lived experiences and more unfiltered conversations with experts in the field around all things Black and dyslexic. Make sure you subscribe and follow the Black and Dyslexic podcast, where we educate, empower, and equip Black and underrepresented minorities. The Black and Dyslexic podcast is partially funded by Morgan Cares and the Center for Urban Health Disparities Research and Innovation, awarded by the National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities. The Black and Dyslexic podcast is sponsored by Dyslexia Advocation Incorporated, a 501c3 charitable organization located in Baltimore City, Maryland, whose mission is to equip parents of children with dyslexia and other language-based learning disabilities with the necessary tools to help their children become successful readers. You can find them on the web at www.soallcanread.org.